From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. With a compelling perspective on global politics, this is The Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. All right, welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. If you're listening on the live audio stream, or we're going out live right now on the audio. Uh, we just had a slight interruption on the uh, video live stream. That'll be back up online momentarily. We're going to move on to our next segment. We're going to welcome onto the stage a geopolitical analyst and who is running a media outlet called New Resistance. You probably uh, subscribe to him on Telegram. If you don't, uh, that's actually where you need to be. One of your sort of choice outlets for news and analysis geopolitically. Joaquin Flores joining us on the line right now. Joaquin, how are you doing? You're from Belgrade. Great to be with you, uh, Mr. Henningsen. Pleasure is always mine and a wonderful introduction. Thank you. No, that's brilliant. And uh, I'm glad that uh, you are in Belgrade because you're in the catbird seat uh, with regards to getting a good fix and view on where things are with regards to what's happening in Eastern Europe, but specifically uh, the situation in Ukraine. And um, you're probably familiar with the, 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 the story, the arc of this story, Joaquin, over the last, we're, we're going to be on two years pretty soon for the special military operation. And right now we're in Washington, D.C. at the moment broadcasting and uh, a a familiar face, a familiar face has arrived um, in in town or if not, he'll be here momentarily uh, to to meet the president and the speaker of the house. And his name is uh, President Volodymyr Zelensky. And uh, a lot of people are speculating, Joaquin, I'm sure you are as well. Uh, Will this be the last begmanding tour? in the United States um, or what's going on here. Uh, there's just this air of desperation right now. Like this is not a popular issue at the moment in America. And yet here he is. He just came off. I think he was in Argentina, I think just a couple of days ago, if I'm not mistaken, or he was meeting uh, the new Argentine president. Now he's in America he's doing the tour. Joaquin, what do you make of this, uh, this situation right now as it stands? Patrick, the desperation is palpable all over the world. Headlines are carrying very similar themes. Uh, The end of the line for Ukraine. uh, It's here. We're seeing it in the region as well. Uh, Our local experts are already talking about um, what Ukraine looks like in a year from now after uh, the conflict is, is close to an end. And so the people's idea about how long this conflict might go uh, it sort of went from, you know, this will this will be like six months to a year. And then people were thinking, oh, two, three years. And then there was a period of time that people were thinking, oh, this is a five, six year conflict. And now people are back to the sort of two, three year window in their mind. Um, and uh, the desperation palpable because there. There's no money, as people know, and this is just sort of a, a cursory view of the facts to understand what Zelensky is doing now. We know that Speaker of the House Johnson, we know that that by neither of those neither of those gentlemen, although they're on opposite sides, supposedly of the aisle, as they say, politically, uh, have any uh, money to give. I mean, so talking to people doesn't really help. Um, and while I would definitely characterize this as a big manding tour, I think that this is about the optics, because if you look 
specifically at the White House press release statements that were, I guess we can imagine were made by Biden, although, you know, we, we, we know they're probably not. But um, the statements that are made by Biden to the media or that were quoted in media to this effect, Patrick, are very, very telling because what they are talking about is future plans, future, you know, uh, what kind of projects we might be doing a year from now, right? So there's no money being discussed because there's no money to discuss. But what's important for the optics right now is that um, at the present time, the Biden administration is showing uh, that they support Zelensky, right? But not they support Zelensky in, the, in terms of money, 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 but they support Zelensky against any kind of political disruption in Ukraine. So they're actually looking at, well, Yermak and his team, who are also with Zelensky's cabinet, were just were in Washington a week before. And again, they weren't there to talk about money because there is no money. They were asking, according to an insider published in resident UA or UA, a Ukrainian portal, uh, published a leak that the Yermak's primary goal was to petition the Biden administration to remove the head of the armed forces, Zeluzhny, a very popular general uh, in Ukraine. People will probably know the name, Zeluzhny. The story happening now, you can see it, whether it's uh, across Western media and in global media, is this rivalry between Zeluzhny and Zelensky, and the idea that one of these men may have to go soon. And it looks like uh, Yermak's uh, plea with the Biden administration to work at removing Zeluzhny, which is very telling about the order of power and who's in control, by the way, because um, they're petitioning Biden <laughs> to remove, to, to somehow neutralize Zeluzhny. Um, the story goes that that request was denied um, and yet we're seeing, and not that this contradicts that, but we're seeing now Zelensky planning to meet with people in the United States to petition for support. And, um, the optics about talking about next year, even though there's nothing concrete, it sends the message that they want to send, which is that there's still going to be an us to talk about in a year, right? There's still going to be me here. There's still going to be Ukraine here. There's right. That the idea is to send the message optically that we have future plans. So um, I don't believe that he expects to come home with anything to show. And that's very, very strange. This is very, very strange. I'm, I'm quite shocked, Joaquin, that you've uh, posited the uh, idea here that uh, Ukraine is not a sovereign country and that uh, they are petitioning Biden to remove the head of the armed forces. I mean, uh, that's a shocking state of affairs. It almost sounds like a, a crazy conspiracy, Joaquin. They've told us that Ukraine is in total charge of their own affairs. They're totally sovereign. And uh, Washington's just there to provide assistance, right? You know, a few arms, a little bit of financial help. You're, 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 you're inferring that uh, Washington actually micromanages the Ukrainian government, Joaquin. Where do you get this crazy idea from? <laughs> I heard it from a little bird named Noland. And, um, I, you know, it's, and what's wild about this is that while this is happening, um, folks, you know, following the conflict will confirm that the Russians have been making, 
um, actual tangible physical battlefield advances in areas like Marinka, Adivka, and places like this. And um, it, it's um, something where it seems for political reasons, and I've been talking to uh, sources inside of Moscow as well, trusted, who think that politically uh, Russia cannot even talk about winding down this campaign without uh, key places like uh, Kharkov, like the city of Zaporozhye, and like the city of Kherson. And um, so with, with that in mind, uh, this idea th uh, that Russia would like to stop now simply because the West is looking for ways to kind of stop uh, doesn't add up. It's, it's, it's a very strange dynamic uh, Patrick, because it, it's it's almost as if these Western media outlets are trying to convince their own public that when the West says, OK, we're ready for a ceasefire, then the honorable and correct thing is everyone's supposed to agree to that. Right. As if as if a ceasefire is just this universal thing that everyone just jumps to when there's a chance for it. Uh, not when you're winning. Mm -hmm. So. It's a very, very difficult thing for, for the Biden administration. And they're going to be having an election on their hands in you know less than a year. So there we are. So that's interesting you bring this up because uh, so would you say, Joaquin, that if there was an opportunity to have a ceasefire and you know enter some kind of you know bilateral negotiations or between Russia and Ukraine with the US obviously in the background, but that, that door may have closed for the U.S. Most, and Kiev? Yeah. Most probably that door has closed. Um, spending enough time looking over um, a lot of the stuff coming out of Valdai, the stuff that Lavrov has been talking about incessantly, I don't mean incessantly, but in a continual and ongoing basis, I should say. Uh, I'm sure his opponents think it's incessant, but I would say clearly if you, and it doesn't require, there's, there's no decoder ring for this. It's, it's pretty, they're saying it pretty openly. Um, there is no actual uh, foundation for a ceasefire because the inability for the West to uh, make a ceasefire and stick to it is why we have this conflict. So they've gone over this. They talk about the Minsk II agreement. Remember, there was the Normandy platform. There was the, tripart the tripartite uh, meeting. There was the, 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 the quartet. Remember these different formats, uh, that out of Normandy and then Minsk that produced the, um, UN security council resolution 2202, AKA the Minsk, uh, accords and Ukraine never implemented. It's part of it. So, um, there isn't, Russia doesn't see itself as having a partner for peace. Finally, very similar to the Minsk agreement. Remember that, when Kiev was two thirds surrounded by the Russian army and we had the Turkish brokered um, uh, meeting to have a ceasefire, um, according to the Russian side, and they showed the, 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 the document to the, to the African delegation in the context of the uh, talking about the grain deal, that there was a ceasefire agreement that they had figured out and that uh, Ukraine had agreed not to enter into NATO um, there was many things that were agreeable in this and they had tentatively agreed to it. Their, their chief negotiator signed it. They had another negotiator that was also very important, who was the head of finance. So then there was a weekend. He ends up dead. And then all of a sudden, Ukraine is not doing this agreement anymore. 
even though they had signed on to it. And Zelensky apparently is on the phone or mess or in contact with Johnson, Boris Johnson, who um, somehow the two men come out of this conversation. And the understanding is we're ripping up this agreement and uh, that's it. So this is sort of like, you know, in Charlie Brown with Lucy and the football, you know, how many times does Charlie Brown run up to the football and Lucy pulls the ball? I don't know that Russia is ready for a third time in a row mm-hmm. with this football stuff. And um, also bear in mind that we can, you and I can talk hypothetically about what terms Ukraine might agree to or what terms Russia might agree to, but legislatively, legally, there's a couple of problems and it's not just the Ukraine. It's not just the Ukrainian side. Of course, Ukraine has a law that forbids Zelensky from doing several things. Um, he can't make an agreement that cedes the territory of Ukraine. He also can't make any agreement with Vladimir Putin, even though that's the president of Ukraine. And as you know, binding agreements between sovereign states must have the dealings of the authorized, you know, the head of state, which is uh, Zelensky in Ukraine and Putin in Russia. So the Ukrainian side doesn't allow for peace negotiations. The Russian side is also locked in, though. People need to understand the Russians conducted popular uh, electoral referendum um, on the basis of universal enfranchisement and one man, one vote in Zaporozhia, in Kherson, just like they did in Lugansk and Donetsk some years before. And the results of those referendum resulted in people voting by 70 something percent plus to join the Russian Federation. Then the Russian Federation Duma recognized those and Russia, like Ukraine, has a constitution that says once something is part of our country, we can't give that up. So this problem of trading land for peace on the Ukrainian side is an issue, but Russia also, they aren't done because they have, they've had an election that's included an overwhelming majority of the population who then in their vote overwhelmingly voted to join Russia. But the capitals of those two regions, uh, Kherson and Zaporozhia of those regions named um, identically, the region of Kherson, the region of Zaporozhia, these are um, these are constitutionally part of Russia now, according to their law. So the Russian army has to liberate those two cities. Like that is a fact. You you can't change that. So it's it's in the constitution now, and those are and it's in Russian law that these are parts of Russia. So this is not for them an occupation. This is not for them a bargaining chip to give back that land in exchange for who knows you know whatever they could come up with. Sanctions are gone or whatever. That's not what they're into anymore. So yeah, I would say there's not any basis for a Russians to agree to a ceasefire. They simply have, I think, a couple of cities left to deal with. And then I don't know what what they're going to do with Odessa. But I, I, I suspect that they might leave Odessa up to be something that once they complete their constitutionally mandated operation, to liberate, in their words, uh, uh, Zaporozhia and Kherson. And then politically, like I'm saying, a couple of insiders I talked to are very clear in terms of the political climate and what would be considered acceptable or unacceptable, that if Russia fails to take Kharkov, that that could be somewhat destabilizing just in terms of the credibility of Russian governance. So 
for those reasons, there are three major cities left at least and possibly five if you include Mikolaev and Odessa. But it looks like Russia might leave those two to some kind of future talk, but who they would be talking to is also another question. So maybe you might have Ukraine find itself suddenly with a Russia-friendly government. Well, maybe that Ukraine with its capital in Kiev might hold on to regions like Odessa and Mikolaev. Other than that, who knows? Wow, if, they, if, if that's what comes to pass, Joaquin, everybody will be lamenting, why didn't we just accept the mixed accords because it seemed right. like a much better deal at the time. But th that's kind of the way this is heading, actually. It's going to be regret upon regret upon regret for Ukraine. And they'll be looking back like Poland after the Second World War. And the, the, the national conversation will be that of regret. I don't know if you agree or not. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, it's in fact, uh, the Polish national conversation is still what could have been. So I think, and that's one of their biggest problems, in fact, geopolitically, is they focus on what might have been instead of what's our reality today. Um, and I, I think when you look at with the Minsk agreement, you know, these are, these would have been fine. And these would have been very, very practical solutions. Um, now, again, I, I don't know what the future holds. I don't have a crystal ball, but Putin very recently told um, uh, media and soldiers who he had awarded uh, some uh, for valor recently, I think it was just two days ago, he, he made comments and said, you know, it, it what's crazy is about all of this, I'm paraphrasing, but pretty close. He goes, he goes, what's crazy about all of this? He goes, it's almost inexplicable that, you know, all of this special military operation, like if there had just been a coup in Ukraine, right? And, or if they had just decided to rip up the, you know, the, the Eurasian economic union sort of deals and go with the EU, or if they had even been saying stuff like, well, you know, we'll, we'll have a NATO base or we'd like to do something like this, like this might not have triggered the special military operation. He said, when they, when they disenfranchised Russians, when they excluded Russians and Russianness as being indigenous to Kiev, even though we know like the entire first polity of Kiev is Kiev and Rus is the, you know, the Rus of, to, to deny that, that Russians are an indigenous people in Ukraine, when everyone knows, you know, going back to 1300 years, 1400 years that this is the case. And, um, and, and, and Ukrainians know it too. This is not a conspiracy theory, right? This is obviously a, a very, um, uh, prejudiced, a very uh, anti-Russian, uh, I don't know if the word would be racism or chauvinism or, or take your pick, but it's not just bad ideas or bad thoughts. We're talking about disenfranchising people, about banning people's language. And you've seen the, the things happening in Ukraine. Uh, these uh, neo-Nazi thugs feel emboldened. You might see someone in a supermarket speaking Russian and they'll attack them just like the way you might envision like Nazi skinheads attacking, you know, a person of color or something like that. It's a very, very crazy situation there. And um, Putin was clear that and I don't know what, what he says is gospel. Right. But this is just reflecting the mood of the time. And I'm just reporting to folks what he said. Um, 
And that's what he said. He said, we're not even, we don't even know we would have done the SMO if it wasn't for the specific targeting of the Russian ethnicity being singled out for eradication in Ukraine. Um, I can confirm that through Radio Free Liberty, Patrick, and Radio Free Europe, on all of the YouTube channels that they control, that they've been openly promoting the ethnic cleansing of Russians from the Donbass. They, they, they need the Donbass. It, the Donbass, Lugansk, and Donetsk for Ukraine, this made up between 50 and 70% of its um, GDP, of its physical GDP, not its debt-driven GDP. But its actual GDP was 50 to 70 percent based in this region. That's a big span because it depends on how you financialize the value of some of these operations. Because a lot of them are natural. Uh, you have salts and coal and you know natural mineral, etc. So the the value of those can fluctuate, right? But it, it's a tremendous part of their economy. But yet the people who live there are 90 percent Russian identifying ethnically. And they've been saying publicly and, and these are still on YouTube. It's incredible given, you know, YouTube so-called censorship. Right. They seem to allow when it's ISIS or Ukrainian Nazis just as if there's no censorship. Right. And these people are openly calling to eradicate the human beings that live there, that we, we need the land, not the people. And we need a final solution to deal with these people. Uh, that they call subhumans and this calling them subhumans has even gotten into Germany. Even we've even had German ministers of parliament, you know, uh, pay, you know, paying homage to Ukrainian talking points and referring to this is Germany, of course, you know, referring. So in German, it's, it's Uber, it's, uh, it's, uh, Untermensch and, uh, referring to, um, to, to Russians as a uh, Untermensch. Wow. So that that's the red line for Moscow. Um, in, and clearly, I agree with you. You know, that that tipped the scales. Absolutely. Um, now, on the political front, you talked about you know, the polling, you know, they're running side by side polling of Zelensky and Zeluzhny. You can kind of see here that Zelensky's days are numbered. Uh, and then Alexei Arestovich, of all people, emerges this week, Joaquin. And you can appreciate this one. He's basically calling out Zelensky. Zelensky's pseudo hero persona, basically saying that he can play the hero in parliaments around the world, um, but it, the, the act is wearing thin at home. So that's interesting. If you consider, you know, the arc of Zelensky's story over the last 18 plus months, and now you have somebody who is is an interesting character um, entering into the conversation here. So that. Is it, are the knives out here in Kiev? And if so, what would be the suitable replacement if there's going to be some kind of a transition phase? I don't know how this would look, Joaquin. Have you thought about this whole situation? Yeah, I've been I, and actually because this in, in preparing for the show and, and thinking about the prompt and, you know, the framing of it, I, I dug in and put my head to it. Interestingly, uh, you know, Arestovich and I are only separated by one degree of separation by the by the, uh, you know, by the Kevin Bacon rule. <laughs> and um, and so we know a number of the same people. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I can tell you that um, he is um, 
you know, he's a, he's he's in many ways like Zelensky in terms of the generation that he comes from. He comes from our generation. He grew up with a lot of the same things, uh, a lot of the same ideas in the same way that, you know, in your life and coming of age, uh, you realize, hey, a lot of politics is bullshit. And this excuse my French. And this is, you know, there's a game here. There's psychology. There's what the masses think. This is how the masses are manipulated. But he comes out of this equation on the different end of, of the scale. He 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 comes out of this equation as experiences and his conclusion is basically the elites are going to run things get in good with them play their game speak their language and he's much like Zelensky in that sense um, he's also um, a little smarter than Zelensky and he but he has all the same liabilities that Zelensky has I don't know if he's still maintaining his uh, affection with cocaine, but certainly it's in his past very big. Um, he's also done the performance and the entertaining and the cross-dressing and the bisexual, you know, Hollywood-type climbing relationships that you might find, um, what is it called, gay for pay or whatever. Um, these are the things that they actually share these things. So they're actually very similar biographically in that sense. And the things they're willing to do and the way they see people and see the world and see things. So it's, it's what's so funny about Arestovich, and he's very comedic in, in a twisted way, his dark humor, is that he's like an anti-Zelensky, and he'll go one week, you know, criticizing uh, the Ukrainian people for their stupidity in believing. I mean, he's someone that on the one hand will say, you know, the Ukrainian identity is fake. You know, this is something that was packaged for us <laughs> in recent years, you know, with Kuchma and onward, or it was, and others would say, you know, being Ukrainian was, it was a new story for us. You know, it was really the Soviets through this process of Ukrainianization that created this Ukrainian identity. They put us in these ridiculous outfits and said, here, dance around like it's a Disney's, it's a small world, you know, to show that we have Ukrainians and Kazakhs and Turkmen's and everything, but they didn't know that. Right. So there was like, this is a created synthetic identity. And Arestovich is the first to point that out. He says, like, you know, you, you scratch a Ukrainian and you've either got a Russian or something else, but there's no Ukraine. And um, and yet he can the following week or following month come out again and say, oh, we're going to win. The counteroffensive is going to win if we do this, this and that we have a great chance. So he trolls the public a lot. You know, uh, he goes back and forth with this. I don't think personally that, you know, any sort of the when uh, Zelensky and his wife were interviewed or his wife was interviewed rather a few months ago about elections. She was very clear about something she said, and it was stunning that she said it, Patrick. She said that she was um, disturbed and upset, really, that the West was trying to push elections on Ukraine because elections meant that Zelensky would be out. And I thought that was a very strange conclusion, but accurate in some way. Oh, yeah. Um, that was, I yeah, was, she's a bright I was woman, shocked. But she says, the, <laughs> yeah, she says the quiet part out loud, if you know, once in a while. And, um, you know, she's done that before. Like when it came to messaging, um, when she said, you know, the important part in the messaging is that the story here is that everyone's supposed to be focused on Ukraine. This was even before the um, the, the crisis in Gaza happened, this insane, uh, I have to say, uh, totally out of proportion and, and disgusting thing happening uh, that the IDF is doing, by the way. Um, and uh, And this is something that she 
Um, this is before that was popping off. There was something else happening. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it took attention off of Ukraine briefly. And she was very vocal, like, hey, you know, we understand that, that the attention must be on Ukraine. So she gets it. So for her to be saying what she said recently about a month ago about how elections meant Zelensky was out, which is a very strange thing to say. And yet there it was taken all together. Um, I don't really see um, I don't I don't really see that changing, you know, that. That let's say whether it's Nolan or whoever is in charge of this right now in, in, in the personnel and who should be president and who should be minister of defense. Um, the big changes that we saw recently, of course, was Reznikov was removed from the head of the head of the army of the minister of defense. And they put in Yermak and they put Reznikov into the into the position of the, uh, of the diplomat, the, you know, the representative to the UK, the, the, the diplomatic ambassador to the UK. Um, so they did a kind of switch up there and the British also changed. Remember they got rid of their guy. And uh, so they, they did some like very big changes in the lineup. And so that has changed facts on the ground. And that's kind of leading up towards the story now. Like you said, Zeluzhny's never, and this is something that's crazy, is that Zeluzhny's never opened his mouth and said something about a political aspiration. Um, about six months ago, he started an NGO about some particular issue, right? But people know how those things can grow. And so that's a good sign that he does have some political aspiration. So he came under pressure from the, the Zelensky government uh, in the interim to shut down that NGO. But that NGO was suspected to be a kind of a, a, a media platform um, to basically uh, be a political figure in Ukraine. Um, so I, I don't know to what extent that any of that story is true, by the way. Okay. I'm just, because all of the sources about the Luzhny versus Zelensky are all American and Ukrainian sources that I've seen. Mm. So yeah. I just don't know. Right. I'm just thinking critically and trying to, you know, work through what we think, think we know what we do know. But in terms of an end game, like what Russia thinks, I think that, they actually do not have a strong impetus to stop what they're doing. And if they can actually get regime change in Kiev, I think they would have somebody like Victor, uh, Victor uh, Med uh, Medvedchuk in there, um, I think. Yeah. So, so Arestovich's job is to just sending out all these various signals like, you know, he's acknowledging, no, NATO is no, ch no chance for Ukraine and NATO. That's, that's a non-starter, says Arestovich. We need to stop the bloodletting, stop killing our own soldiers in this senseless trench warfare, etc. So he's put, he's making all the right sounds there, Joaquin. Um, but, yes. but, but that's what he's been doing constantly. He's making all sorts of signals and sounds, but, um, so it seems like they're preparing you know, the groundwork for something here. Well, see the thing about Arestovich is that let's say that they, let's say that the way that they pitch the conflict to the West and the funding and money, or if they can scrounge maybe 10 or 20 billion together, let's say, or they can get some kind of new commitment from Europe somehow. Then what you're talking about is digging in and making 
stable defensive echelons and trying to imitate Russia's successes, but now make these Ukrainian defensive successes. So um, uh, Sierski has basically said similar. Zaluzhny has inferred similar. Other military people at the local level are all saying things like we need to pull back. We should be pulling back. And other indications is that orders have already been given at, at different places to pull back. So then you're looking at digging in, right? So someone like Arestovich might say today, blah, blah, blah. But then next month, once the decision has been made to dig in, he might say something like, well, it's possible that we can stop the Russians on these echelon lines the way that they stopped us on theirs. And maybe that could break the Russian spirit. So he, he he's going to still troll. Like he's going to, he's going to come up with something next month that seems that he's back on the side of maybe we can beat Russia. Cause he's kind of, kind of playing the popular consciousness and the kind of the way that an individual that was maybe like a thoughtful individual in Ukraine that was kind of in the middle and going back and forth. He's kind of speaking to those people. Cause I think that's probably where a good 60, 70% of the population is. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Cause you're, the, 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 that's just been his pattern of behavior basically. Um, you've been right. able to observe. So, uh, so yeah, this is going to get interesting. Uh, so we could see some palace intrigue here, some changing of the guards, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, what does that mean? It sounds to me, Joaquin, like the wife is the reasonable one there in the Zelensky uh, cohort. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's some potential there for her, because uh, I'm not hearing anything very wise coming from uh, the man himself. Um, so I think very precarious position indeed. Uh, but yeah, so we'll see. Strange things have happened in other situations, Joaquin. So, um, but yeah, there's going to be, there has to be some political continuity in Kiev to somehow make, make, make things go from one stage to the next. And I, I honestly don't know how this is going to look. Cause I think he, you know, as soon as there's a pause in hostilities, people are going to want, they want Zelensky's, uh, head on a platter, basically no pun intended, but well, I don't think there's going to be a pause in hostilities is mm -hmm. the thing. That's the thing is that it's like the, the, we have this paradigm where we think that the, you know, the, the hostilities can stop because Ukraine can't take anymore. No, that's when Russia gets going, dude. Like that's actually their, that's their green light at the intersection. So I, I think that, you know, I was reading a report earlier that someone shared with me from a, a doctor of political science from Moscow State University talking about how um, Ukraine still has defensive lines between, you know, between the line of contact now to the Dnieper. They still have some strongholds and, and these could take months and months for Russia to overcome. If there's an investment today to reinforce those, I'm adding maybe 20 or 30 billion dollars. So this is half of what they of their smaller amount because they've hedged down from 100 billion. OK, we'll split it with Israel. For 60 billion or whatever, maybe they can get it down to 15 billion and it's all defensive without any illusion that you're going to be reconquering Russian territory, but with the illusion that you can create the kind of defensive echelons that the Russians built. You see, so they're going to, I think they're going to try to sell this idea that it's, it's that they're, what they're doing is they're taking Zeluzhny's report that he wrote that you can read on The Economist, which I studied very carefully, and they're, they've been twisting what he says a lot. Like they've been twisting that he said it was a stalemate when he didn't really say it was a stalemate. 
He said it was a technological stalemate in terms of the paradigm, but he didn't say that Ukraine was static, that he said that Ukraine is losing ground every day. So this is important. And a stalemate doesn't, you're not losing ground every day in a stalemate, okay, in an actual, in a tactical stalemate, okay? He said there was a technological stalemate, not a military tactical tactical stalemate okay so this is a very strange thing what he was illusion he did say is that time is running out for us that the that the movement the change in the conflict um, um maneuver which is us taking the initiative you know through those probe fences yeah. to positional warfare where we're not right that that is not stable for us like that that positional warfare we cannot sustain as of now that that means that anything moving forward that's a problem or a setback or just for any reason could lead to destabilization in the military or the state so that's actually what Zeluzhny wrote in his report we're gonna on the economist it's there we're gonna yeah that and that's something people need to take a look at and also if you want to get more depth on this you got to subscribe to telegram channel new resistance this is joaquin flores's channel is a fountain of knowledge and information that's where you want to be on this issue joaquin flores we really appreciate you joining us on tnt today's news talk this week thanks for having me patrick great discussion everybody and sam husseini uh from the u.s state department in the first hour another great discussion this has been a fantastic broadcast appreciate you guys especially on the audio stream had some technical difficulties on the video will be patched up very shortly but we will leave you there today and we'll be back tomorrow with another blockbuster program of news and analysis i'm patrick henningson your host this has been tnt today's news talk the patrick henningson show i will hand it over to the next host stay on the line top of the our news headlines coming up as well take care you guys i'll see you next week. see you tomorrow